are listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Changing Reality. My name is Harsha and I'll be your host for today. For all of you who may be new to Changing Reality, this may be your first time watching, Changing Reality is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are in essence changing their own reality. So we'll be hanging out and interviewing social change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, to even artists, musicians, top executives, industry leaders, and inspiring individuals from all across the world. And we get to hear their inspiring stories on how they are changing their own reality. And we get to do that while taking away bits from their journey and seeing how it applies to us, how we can use that in our own lives to create the world that we want to live in. And I wanted to do this show simply because I feel like there are a lot of people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of those around them. And I'm super passionate about learning how people are changing the world in their own capacity so that we can replicate it and use those stories to fuel the work that we want to do. And personally, I founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, that collaborates with our Malaysian Ministry of Education to actually um, help other students uh, have an alternative education platform for them to learn how they can change their reality too. And just like the main theme behind the show, it's all about using stories to inspire and to kickstart their journey. So we at Descendants work with students from elementary to high school through various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities, and projects that help them discover their passion, learn about themselves, and also get to know the world around them so that they can start their own careers while they are still in school that creates meaningful impact not just for themselves, but for those around them too. So to date, we've worked with over 15,000 students in 970 communities and have incubated countless number of student-run projects, social enterprises, all run by students aged 8 to 25 years old. So helping everyday students learn how they can change their reality through stories just like this. And to show you guys the power of how important these stories are, uh, just two weeks ago, we actually had a conference for over 50,000 students, parents, teachers, and partners from all across the world. We had 28 countries participating. We had speakers from eight different countries who were as young as 10-year-olds from Tanzania who run their own financial literacy startups, to 17-year-olds in India who run million-dollar businesses, or 15-year-olds in the U.S. who actually um, uh, work with um, legislators to improve uh, well, climate-related policies. So if you have any questions about why the, the power of story is important, the work that we do at Ascendance, or even this show where we actually use stories to inspire you guys, do drop it in the show chat below. And if you have any suggestions, ideas, topics, things that you want to learn about, let us know in the chat below. But other than that, welcome everyone once again to Changing Reality. Drop your hellos in the chat and we'll pick that up as well. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask us in the comments as well. And we'll take it for our speaker today. So speaking of our speaker today, she's someone who is absolutely inspirational and truly phenomenal. And I say this because not only is she someone who's personally changed my life a lot, she's actually my mother, but she's also someone who's been extremely successful in her own corporate journey. And she's a very big advocate of culture change within individuals, within organizations, within teams, at a micro to a macro level. So what role does culture really play in our lives? That's the question that we'll be tackling as the fundamental aspect of today's episode. And our speaker today is the founder and CEO of Globetrotter Consultancy, an organization that works with individuals and professionals to create fundamental changes in the organizations and lives of these people. Their principal biocybernetics program has impacted over hundreds of thousands of people, and they work to transform culture of individuals and organizations and build high-performing teams uh, carrying on from that. Um, our speaker, Ms. Valsla Krishnan, was featured on Banama News Channel as well as many other news uh, platforms over the last few years, sharing about her expertise in building culture. And prior to even being the founder of Globe Trader Consultancy, Valsla held the post of Regional Finance Director and Regional HR Director for the ASEAN and APEC regions at a large multinational company called HB Fuller. Um, she worked with teams in Southeast Asia, being a business partner to an internal clients in Malaysia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, uh, and many more, as well as eventually uh, moving into her, uh, her APEC role that included China and Australia as well. 
So here is where she actually learned to obey the ropes of culture shaping, where she designed and successfully launched uh, global mentoring programs, uh, engaged uh, the created surveys that engaged entire APAC region for this large organization, conducted organizational effectiveness programs, and even developed talent development plans for the whole region and conducted culture shaping initiatives as well. Today, she not only brings all of this expertise and much, much more to Globetrotter Consultancies and to the uh, lives that she works with very personally, but she's also uh, documenting all of that. And she's now kind of pursuing her doctorate degree in philosophy of business. So without further ado, let's meet the legend herself, Ms. Valsla Krishnan, welcoming her to the virtual stage. Hello, Harsha. Hi, how are you feeling? <laughs> Fine. The word legend got me. You go. You was like, oh, oh now I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I hope I did justice to your introduction. And it is great having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. And I've got to ask from the whole long introduction I gave to you, you seem like a very people person, a very culture orientated person, a person who really understands people. And I know today we have a lot of um, your uh, participants from your programs, people that you have mentored, tuning in. So I'm sure that they agree as well that you are someone who gets people in a sense. But you actually started off in finance, in accounting to be specific, which is very different from the whole I, 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 I started off not a people person at all. <gasps> I don't want to know people. I don't want to talk to people. I prefer my laptop and my Excel sheets. And just let me do my own work. Don't disturb me kind of person. Okay? So that's... Uh, oh, God. That is very different. I was for a long time. And um, only later in my life, uh, went towards, I mean, I was almost a finance director that's when one of my boss told me this you're a very strange person for an accountant i was like why is that See, you seem to be a very people person for accountant i was like i'm a people person okay yes so yes well that is interesting that is interesting and um why did you choose to do accounting in accountancy in the first place like okay um when i was young you get influenced actually i was young when i was young i don't know what to do what i want to do Okay, but like the rest of things your parents say that you hold on to. So I remember, I don't know whether my dad remembers this or not, but he used to tell me this. Don't be an engineer. My dad's an engineer. He said, don't be an engineer. Be an accountant. You can go up the corporate career. Very, you can really go up the corporate career. And you will be a very important person in the organization if you're in the finance role. Somehow this, I don't know when he said this, but it, it, it stayed in my mind. And I used to watch a lot of uh, movies that has like corporate office, like, you know, corporate America and, and, and this, this, this uh, offices in high rise buildings with nice view and, you know, the, the view of the nice landscape with the corner office. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to get there. I'm going to be somebody in a corporate world or I'm going to be be a, a, a top official in a corporate world. So yeah, that was my innocent goals that I set when I was young, watching TV and listening to my dad. Yes. Okay. So okay. As, as I grew up, I was like, uh, okay, fine. I'll, you know, suddenly your mind will hold on to something. So my mind held on to being an accountant. And somewhere along the line also that my dad said something like, um, my dad or somebody said something like, um, you know, you should go to UM. I don't know. University Malaya is, the, you know, in Malaysia, it's the premium university, the oldest university you should go there. So I was like, so I, I sat in my mind, I want to do accounting. I want to be an accountant. I want to be this corporate top. Uh, I didn't know the word director and all that, but I know corporate official. And I wanted to study in UM. So those were my initial goals. And I wanted to get a scholarship and study for free. Okay. So these are the few goals that I had. And uh, yeah, so that defined me okay. when I was young. That is very interesting. It's very it's also very cool that you're using the word goals because you actually today work with people to achieve their goals. And yeah, but even I in early yeah, but even in the, that early time when you were still uh, starting out, going in UM and things like that, you set a goal to get into, 
I think the, the number one university in the country, the ninth biggest university in Southeast Asia, the 65th like the top university in the world, which is absolutely huge. So how do you actually um, go about setting that goal and achieving that goal? And I think you even received like the like a, a very prestigious scholarship to actually like pursue this education, right? It's, it's not like I knew I was setting a goal. Like today, I consciously know, okay, I must set my goals. I I, I tell my uh, the people I guide, my participants, and okay, you must set a goal. You must focus your thoughts on it. And I didn't know that. I just I don't know. Must be trained subconsciously to set goals. So and but my dad was very influential in that way that he kind of like um, influenced the goals that I set the university I went to the career that I eventually build even getting the scholarship okay one of the things he said is I, I'm not from a poor family my dad is an expat so we're quite well no we're not rich but we're quite well to do so I didn't want to get a scholarship that was for the poor so the scholarship that I wanted was something on my base of merit. That means when a company recognizes that I'm someone they want to as their team later on, and they offer me a scholarship. And that's what I got. So I got a scholarship. In, and it's like, it's like I didn't know I was setting goals at that time, consciously. But uh, now when I look back, I was setting each goals. And then I'll get very focused in that goals. And I'll start doing things to get the goal. Like, for example, like... Um, in uh, the scholarship, I think I applied to about 200 over school places. I got called for interview maybe three or four places, but I got one. I got one in BP Malaysia, which is a petroleum company at that time. It was called BP Malaysia. And um, so they gave me a scholarship. They gave five of us in UM and it wasn't a bonded scholarship. It wasn't a scholarship for the poor. It was a scholarship exactly like what I wanted. It was for people who they thought are these are potential candidates who will later join their team as the employees. And I wanted to, when I got the scholarship, I wanted to join BP Malaysia. So, yeah. Interesting, interesting. You also would, would not just, do, sorry, you're not just doing a move to college, you're also moving geographically. You're actually from Tuang, right? Which is a very small town in Java. Yeah, I'm a small town, girl. yes. Yeah. And so, it's a small town. And then I remember, okay, this is where you know that Wangsa's my mom. I remember going to Tuang for holidays as a kid and the, the phrase that everyone would use to this like it's like time stops when you're in Kluang because it's just like like it's just such a difference from the that's city life everyone that's just me and my friends trying to <laughs> make well, the kid, you're all the you like the whole world so yeah that, that's my everyone and so at that point of time moving from Kluang from small town to KL. How was that like for you as an individual? Um, was there any culture shock? Was it exactly how you planned out going to this big university and things like that? Or was it different from what you expected? It was too shocking for me to recount. And because, okay, I, first of all, I was, uh, I could say I, I lived a very sheltered life, nice life, but sheltered life because I, my mom and dad did everything for me. So it's like everything was taken care of. And then I got this university in KL and I moved to uh, the, the uh, so it's like, you know, a few hours from where I live and I had to stay in the hostel. And here I had to stay with people from different cultures, different background, and was totally different from my friends at school. So I was in a culture shock for a year or two. So my uni life was shocking. I won't say that I had a nice, I, had, I was just shocked. I was just shocked, and at that time, in my in my when I was nineteen, um, um, nineteen, yeah, when I was nineteen, the first year was a lot of insecurities. I wasn't an insecure person; I was a very confident person. But when I was put into an environment where everybody was different and they were expecting different things of me, for a while, I tried to conform. Meaning, I dress differently. I, I, I they, they, people in uh, in UM at that time, uh, my batch of uh, seniors were very cultural, so they were very traditional, very cultural. I was a lot more modern in my outlook, in my upbringing, because my dad was an expat. I traveled a lot and all, so I was a bit different. But when I came, and my friends in school were all very different. So when I came into university, it was such a cultural shock that uh, it took me a couple. Of, I think I think the whole first year was more of a, a shock. I was trying to fit in. There was all my insecurities came out. You know, I was trying to fit in, didn't fit in, fight with my seniors, want to go back. I remember 
first year was a bit more relaxing. So what I did is when they when the courses opened up, I went in early, early, and I and I signed up for all the courses from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, my classes will start at eight a.m., finish at six p.m. But Thursday, when it, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm off. So Thursday, I'll take the bus back to Kluang, which is a few hours ride, and then I'll be back on Sunday. And I was doing this for three, four months until my dad asked me, is she really in the university because she seems to be spending more time at home than in the university? So that's how much I didn't want to. I mean, I always wanted to leave home. I was like, I want to be on my own. I want to be independent. I want to leave home. But when I actually left home, I was like, I want my mommy. And I went back home most times. <laughs> but after a while, I started adjusting to... Um, staying in, in outside in campus and I, I started getting my own friends um yeah and i but i but if i look back i made a lot of decisions like the friends that i decided was more like because they got me to be uh, they kind of rescued me from the people from the people who were attacking me so it's like not the friends that i would have chosen but the friends that saved me kind of thing so yeah Things changed, however, when I became a senior, because then I was like, I, I kind of found my footing again. I just became myself again, and I set my rules differently for my juniors who came in. So if you ask me, my first one year in the university was scary, scary, scary for me. But after that, I found my footing, I found back my confidence, and then I started enjoying uh, my university life as well as I did a lot of other things like um, University Malaya was very fortunate in that time. They, they will open up a lot of uh, things for us to do during SEM break as well or during uh, some of the semesters. It's like I, I took part in a in a two weeks uh, survey of how women, um, underprivileged women. So I got to spend time for two weeks out of my family in, in another state in a in someone's house who was not doing very well and all and we get to experience their life as well as uh do a survey on how their life was i thought that was a very nice experience so it's like there were a lot of adventurous things like that that i could do which was nice in my university life yeah. that's very interesting and i can see the seeds of you getting interested in culture learning about different people even no, like no, I, I no idea. I just wanted to be an accountant. You know, I'm waiting to graduate. I want to be an accountant. And you know, it's like I you know I'm, I'm corporate, corporate world, corporate Malaysia. Wait for me. I'm coming. Okay. So it's like yes. So how was it like graduating and picking the place to work and going for like for so, this corporate? So I was corporate. One of my, I wasn't bonded by my scholarship, but I had the, a clause that I have to uh, work uh, with them during the SEM breaks. So one of the SAM breaks, I had to do a practical training with them. So three months, I've been attached with them. And when I was there, there were some nice people, but most of the time, I felt the culture very cool. That means they were not so welcoming. No one cared about you. Okay? You were just on your own. You were this, this, this girl who don't know what's happening. You went into this corporate world where the office floor, um, there was a big finance department that probably had 50 people in there. And you're one tiny person in this 50 people and they gave you a cubicle and there was no handphones at that time. So I'm just looking at my walls and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I have nothing to do. In the end, I had to go and find someone who could give me some work to do so I could do some work. So I did find someone who gave me work to do. I got really close with her and all. she said, you know, next next semester you should come back. You know, we we, we it's really a pleasure working with you and all. But I didn't. One of the reasons why I didn't is I felt the 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 I felt it was very um, cold, not so welcoming. So I didn't really like the culture. I didn't know all this at that time, but I just like uh, oh I don't want to work like this. And another thing was the travel. I have to get up at six thirty in the morning. I will leave my house by seven. I will take the LRT. I will travel for two hours. I will walk. I will I will take the Train is like it's such a journey to go back and come back to work. So I wasn't very keen on that. Remember, my small town girl kicked in. So when I graduated and uh, there was an offer from a company in Kluang, I took it actually. I took it and my first job, I went back to Kluang to work as an accountant. So yeah. So corporate Malaysia journey began and 
moving into this first role, you're freshly out of university. And was it all that you expected? Was it really the eye flying, like the officers? Well, it was funny because when I set these goals, it was influenced by TV and all, right? Uh, by, mm -hmm. by the movies I watched and I said, I want corporate America. But when I did get my internship in corporate KL, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This is too cold for me. I don't want this. I'll go back to my small town where it's more like a family. Okay, so I did go back to the Kluang and I was an accountant there. And yes, uh, it was the, the people there were very welcoming. And my next 10 years of being in, in, in the company uh, was, um, was very family-like. So it was very nice, actually, very warm, very family-like. And and uh, since when I was a young accountant, there were even like lunchtime. My house was a little far away for me to go for lunchtime. Most people go back for lunch because it's a small town. But there were a few people who didn't. They will uh, they will ask you, you know, we were having lunch in this person's house. Would you like to come join us? And, and it's like it's it's a very very welcoming, warm culture, and I like that. And I enjoyed my 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 career choice there. Also, it wasn't a very big company. It was a medium-sized company, so that I could do, I could learn a lot of things. Small, very big companies. When you start off, what will happen is you learn how to do only one thing. But when you start in a medium-sized company, you you have to do many things. So you learn how to build build your career. But the funny thing that happened is, um, I I took a job in this company in in Kloa, and they hired me, uh, I was supposed to start on 1st of April. My exams, uh, they hired me in December. I was supposed to start next year, 1st of April, because my exams finish in March. Finish my exams, I pack my bag, I go back to Kluang, I turn up for for work. I already got an offer letter and all, and I could see a shock, shock in all their faces. I didn't know what was the shock about. Later, I realized they forgot they hired me. Okay, And they didn't... <gasps> me to really turn up because most people don't move from the big city to a small town they forgot i'm a small town girl who wanted to come back to you know uh, I, my parents were no more staying in Kluang at that time but i had a house there still so i was like you know I'm, I'm moving back here so when i turned up i didn't even have my cubicle okay i didn't have a job description that means i didn't have a job to give me because they already hired someone else for the job but they hired me, right? So they didn't fire me also. They just took me in. So here I was in this role, uh, sitting in this, this, you know, the room where they use for conferences or auditors or any meeting meeting room, sitting in this meeting room and no proper jobs description, no proper job as well. So again, no smartphones and all. You, 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 can't, you can't just, how long can you sit in a day without doing anything? You can't. So I started I started going around to all my colleagues and say, do you have anything for me to do? Do you have anything for me to do? So um, one of the things that happened is uh, what I noticed is they were not, uh, they, they are, the company tax was done by a consultant. So I was like, okay, I just graduated from an accounting, uh, with an accounting degree which very strong tax principles tax laws were very strong here is very strong when you graduate so i was like you know what um i went up to my boss and said um can i i went up to my manager and said can i do the tax comp for the company and he was like um, yeah sure why not because he's probably like okay go, go go do something girl okay so so, <laughs> so i so I, I i took the i took three months and i took you know one by one i was doing all the schedules for this tax computation the tax uh consultant wasn't very happy because obviously they have less fees because here now i'm doing the tax form you review it because my argument was I, i'm this is where i work i have all the information so I'll just do the text form. I'll pass it to you. You review it. And of course, the fees for that is much lower than doing the text form. That was one. But that led to a next opportunity. The next thing that they saw is one of the clause at that time in Malaysia was uh, for research and development, for R&D. There, the, there was a tax exemption, a double tax exemption. And this company had huge expenses for R&D. They had a lab. Okay, they had a building, they had a lab and all, and the uh, the uh, the expenses for a year was like one million ringgit, which we didn't get double deduction because the tax agent said something like, um, the documentation is very difficult. But I looked at it and said, it's a million ringgit. 
I'll do the documentation. So I went into the, I went and met all the chemists, I met all the, um, the technical managers, and I got them all to put it down. I drove them Natsuki, I put it down in, in, and I kept telling them, hey, we got a million ringgit to save for the company, so can we put this down in it? So in the end, I got the proper documentation. We put in the application for double deduction, and we got a double deduction application, which saved the company a huge amount in tax, probably about 200,000 in tax. So immediately, I became like an in-house tax consultant. <laughs> that is crazy. That is crazy. So you didn't have anything to do. So you decided, what can I do to save the company money? And you just did all of the things to save the company uh, it, money. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. It was more like, what can I do? What can I do? And in that, I saw, hey, this, if I can do this, it would save a lot of money. So it was more like, you know, I did it because uh, it would save people a lot of money. So I actually did that. And then, and one thing will lead to another thing. I had a very nice uh, boss when I first started working. He said something. Uh, Osla, to your doing your job well is a given. They pay you a salary to do your job well. So if you really want to rise up the corporate world, you must do something different of value, a certain project or something. Okay, that that makes you stand out. But at that time, I also don't know which one what, right? So this tax thing started, it started with the tax thing. Then eventually what happened is the CEO who was, an, who was, a, who was a, from UK, he's an expat. He asked me, can you do my tax computation for me? I don't understand what a tax agent is doing. Can you lie to the tax agent and do my tax comp? So I said, okay, fine. So then I started doing his tax computation. And then I realized some of the managers were asking me questions like, how to submit my tax return? Huh? How to submit my tax? And I realized, oh, these managers also, Malaysian managers also don't know how to do this. Is it? So what I did is I had like a half day workshop for all the senior managers and all the managers on how to submit your personal tax. And that made me someone, everyone knew me. All the managers knew me. So eventually later when things came up for promotions or any other project or anything, I would be like, ask for us. Maybe we can ask for us. So opportunities came to me as I did something that of value to them, which wasn't my job scope, actually. But again, when you work in a company, you have the time. If you can bring out something of value to people, it will bring you a long way. This was one, one, one story. Uh, another story could be um, times have changed now. Now everything is computerized. But when I started, this was in the... Um, late 90s, okay, um, computerized, uh, the company I was working in, they were uh, computerizing the departments. That means before this, people were doing things manually, even the accounting accounting uh, roles and all were done manually. So I was, I, I started uh, at a time when we do, they were they were moving into computerization. So they had consultants from India coming in, doing this ERP system and all. So when something like this happens, when I'm a young person, I adapt to this change faster than the older people because I didn't have a standard way of doing things yet. I just, I'm still new, right? So computers were for me at that time, I was like, oh, this is exciting. So I took lead in a lot of the work. So the first thing I was supposed to do is uh, categorize all the fixed assets and transport it into the system. So I started with that, but eventually I started looking at different areas. Eventually, a number of years later, when they moved into SAP a few years later, about five, six years later, I they chose me as an in-house consultant and they sent me to Germany for three weeks. Okay, this is uh, the part where Harsha don't like because Harsha was one year old and I went to Germany. My for, uh, first for memories of crying for one year. <laughs> but, no, no, no. But, but okay, it, it's very interesting in a sense. I and mean, without a doubt, I can see how you grew so fast in your career. It's not just about doing your job, but it's also about, and not just doing everything, it's about doing things that matter in a sense. And yes. Bring yes. value, as you said. So it's not, yes. I really like doing things that bring value. I, I, I didn't do this planning that I'm going to go up the career, the corporate <laughs> world. I know another thing my manager told me is um, learn. Take your time to build yourself, build your foundation high, uh, build your foundation well before you go up the ladder. Because when you go up the ladder, if your foundation is not strong, you will fall very fast. 
So I wasn't, uh, you know, scheming or I wasn't thinking how I'm going to go up the corporate ladder. I was just, I set a goal. I did set a goal. When I went in there, I said, oh, you know what, by the, in 10 years, uh, that one, I, 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 the time, huh? I said, in 10 years, I want to be the group financial controller. It means my boss's boss, uh, boss's uh, this one, okay, role. And I said, I want to be that. But whenever I had the opportunity that could bring, I, I do my best. I, I do my work really well. I do my best. I take initiative to finish things, which I realize uh, most people don't finish things. And um, there was also a time, remember I said I had a lot of time. So I was also uh, getting um, my boss's work also. I used to do a lot of the things. I'll ask him, uh, this thing not happening. Can I, shall I do this? He said, can. So I'll do the whole documentation. He'll just sign it. But after a few years, what happened is when they looked for a finance manager, I'm the one who's already doing the job. Mm. So it's like it's like I was already doing the job. So it was a no-brainer of getting me promoted. But again, there was some 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 delay because one of the things was HR said that uh, I'm too young to be a finance manager. So they promoted me mm. as assistant with a few other people, which were for me it was like so unfair. I, I know I I, I I did the job. I'm doing the job. You promoted the other two people so that everyone feels safe and 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 what do you call that? Everyone feels like they've been there longer than me. So it's like fine. But I was fine. I just do my work only. But eventually I did get my promotion to finance manager two years later. So it's like you will get what you deserve if you continue doing your work. And continue. And you went from and you went from someone who didn't know at all, who was not actually given a job description to assistant manager to manager to finance director so it is a pretty cool career progression and it again was, you went was. from i think like yeah, you, you did leave that corporate ladder <laughs> i did i did i did get my corner office too but i i was in kluang so it was uh, my view of this corner. I was on the fourth floor. There was the highest floor at that building, this four-story building. And I had this corner office overlooking the mountain. There was this Gunung Lamba. So it was uh, overlooking a mountain. It wasn't like the movies where it was overlooking skyscrapers, but it was overlooking a mountain. So it had a nice for a couple oh, of years. It's still pretty good. I, yeah. I like the mountain. Yeah. It looks cool. Okay. Quite a nice view. And and you moved also from Kluang back to KL, uh, came into the subsidiary in, in this part of Malaysia. So, and from then you actually moved from HR, uh, sorry, from finance to HR. And we actually have a question from the audience on this, actually. How did you manage to change your career from the financial sector to create cultural change? And what was your aspiration at that point in time? You've already been incredibly successful in this one field. Why even bother to change fields? When I get bored, I'll go and volunteer for things. Okay. The move from Kluang to KL was a lateral move for family reasons. I wanted to bring my children up in KL. Okay. So I moved. I wanted the move. And I didn't want to my bosses to find out that I'm applying for a job in KL. So I applied. I told my bosses, I, I love this company. I love working here. But I want to move my family to KL. So now I'm applying for jobs in KL. That's the only reason. Okay, and they were like, okay, we have a subsidiary in in in, in Klang, in, in near KL. If uh, there's an opportunity, there's a vacancy, we will let you know. Okay, and I left it at that. Few months passed. I didn't get a job that could offer me the flexibility, the salary, and the freedom that I had in my current job, so I didn't move. But there was an opening that turned up a few months later in KL, and my CEO straight away volunteered. Basla will come here, so I was like, fine. Basla move. Okay. But Masla moved uh, in the same finance position. And the, for the next few years, uh, it I, I moved from a, H office, a head office to a subsidiary. So life was much simpler in a subsidiary. It was a very well-organized subsidiary. So I could go to work at uh, 7, they start at 7.30, 7.30 and finish at 5. So it was a very um, relaxed job. Okay? But it was also nice for me because I could balance it with my young daughters. I could spend time with my children, could take them to the malls, could take them for whatever, concert, whatever, and all. It was their growing years. But I was getting bored and I was looking for another job, but I couldn't find a job that offers me what I have right here. However, 
when you start looking for something, what happened is the subsidiary I was working in was acquired by an American company. So I had a choice to go back to Kluang. I didn't want to. Or follow into this American company, which is truly a global company. They really had global uh, footprints. So for one, the sale took one year. So in that one year sale, I was the finance person who was presenting all the documents, presenting also all the new bosses in that company also knew me. Okay. <laughs> and there was once, I think, um, I was going on holiday. The, the, the sale took so long, okay, like one year for the sale. So we were like, you want to buy the company, buy la, okay, but, but you know what, we'll just see. But there was one particular time they had a meeting when I was going to have a family holiday to Bali. And I was like, Khan, I already booked this holiday. I'm going on this holiday. I can't go. You guys go ahead without a meeting. What they did is they postponed the meeting. So about <laughs> two weeks later, and when I came for the meeting, everybody was like, how's your holiday? Well, I was like, how do everybody know I went on holiday? <laughs> so it's like, so it, it, it was like that. And two months after the new company, the new board uh, took over, they were all Americans, uh, American expats, mostly based in Shanghai, but they came into uh, Malaysia, which was the new subsidiary, and they were looking at the new people to be appointed there. And strangely, the, my, the HR director made me an offer. He said, would you like to move into a HR role, a regional HR role? I was like, Hmm, what a strange thing to tell me. I'm a finance person. HR is a different skill set. I'm not a HR person. I don't think I suit the job description. And he said, it's okay. I'll mentor you. If you are willing to learn, I'll mentor you. I thought about it. I said, one thing is a few months before that, my thoughts started changing. I started getting bored of being in finance. And I was contemplating working with people. You know, I wanted to make people's life better. You know, I want to work with people and all, but I don't know where to start. So when I got this job offer, I was like, it's in the same company itself. So I thought, oh, okay, now I got a chance to work. I wanted to work with people, right? Now I got a chance. And my boss is saying, he's a nice guy. He's telling me, I will mentor you. So fine, I can learn. And the third, third thing that really made me very excited is this job can really travel for free. <laughs> <laughs> Here now, I, I, I take care of uh, five countries in Southeast Asia. So Malaysia, Philippines, Indonesia, Thailand, um, Vietnam, and another thing they had is Korea, South Korea. So they actually had six countries. So I could travel to these countries and stay there and they office too, I remember. for free and do my work and meet people from different countries. So that was very exciting for me. And it was also, of course, quite challenging because I here I was a regional HR manager, which means HR managers in these countries report to me. I'm their boss. So I cannot tell them I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I cannot tell them that I have to pretend that I know how to like, you know, wait, wait, first, let me find out. I can get the expertise. I can give them the respect for it. But um I really need to find out. So I did this GPHR course, uh, Global HR Professionals Program from the US, which was one of the most scariest exams I set. Uh, I thought I failed, but I didn't. And, and uh, basically, I learned the spectrum of HR very quickly. That means I quickly had to learn on the job what are things about strategic HR. That was one. Another thing that I did is, I for soft skill, I did something called corporate coaching. So I learned how to talk to people so that they can see the best in each situations. And that made me a popular HR manager. So whenever I go to a certain country, I will actually meet the people. Remember, I want to work with people, right? So I start with where I was. So I'll go there and I'll, I'll allocate certain days. So that means usually I'll fly out on Monday. I'll come back on Friday. So I'll spend a week wherever I'm going. And of course, uh, and I, I will I will slot time for me to meet people. Sometimes it's the managers there. I'll meet people one on one. So they'll tell me like, all the stories and all. So it's like, um, so I learned a lot about people here. And um, one of the things I learned about people is everywhere. Also, they are the same. Everybody after you take out the the nationality, the culture, you take out all those things, uh, the gender and all. Everybody is, is human. 
they want to feel appreciated they feel people don't understand they feel uh, you know motivated when they have something to do so it was just a common theme in there so i like that so so i i was there was a, a lot of learning and this later in my career in globe trotter i realized this anybody also you can connect to them if you connect to the human being in them so if you cannot connect to someone you just haven't figured out how yet so i learned how to connect to people and the question that nora srina had is uh, what get you to go into culture change it was a few year process it was a three year process so remember i was saying that malaysia had this company that was bought over by this global business one of the things i realized is when the company was bought over there was a culture clash the company in malaysia was a local company with with you know uh, people who have never been out of malaysia and then suddenly a global company they come in they take them over then they hire people in a regional role and all it it shakes a lot of people up okay and it shakes people up trust issues come out people feel not appreciated anymore i work here 20 years suddenly got some young fella come in front of me as a boss the young fella is like what's wrong with this fella he so many years here also he don't know what he's doing so i was in the middle of this and i realized something very important there is a culture clash going on and nobody is doing anything about it so there was a lot of uh, resources and consultants coming in and correcting you know like the it system the merging the synchronizing sanitizing the it system sanitizing the office sanitizing the the pay schemes sanitizing a lot of things but the people there were were not addressed so i was looking for an answer so i was looking for an answer and then i found this thing called culture shaping that means you need to actually transit this culture so i was looking for answers and i did try out some of the trainings most of it didn't work and that when uh, most of it didn't work and that's when um uh, got me to move into my next role my next role was as an organizational development manager in asia pacific now i got more countries to go travel to i can travel to shanghai guangzhou and i can travel to us and i can travel to uh, my bosses were in us now okay and i can travel to melbourne as well so, because all the offices were here so it's like i had more places to travel and i had a wider role how i got this job is also interesting i put in my resignation saying that i am going to start my own consulting firm okay and i was already very close to the vice president of uh, of uh, asia pacific she happened to i don't know if she happened to be in malaysia or she flew down to see me i don't know okay but she met me and she said so you want to resign why you before i accept your resignation why you want to resign so i told her what is your plan after this so i told her my plan is this 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 i'm going to do this this this, this. then she looked at me and she said you don't know what you want to do right and i look at her, i said yeah i don't know what i want to do but i have an idea and i know i cannot continue doing what i'm doing now because i'm not really solving any problem then then she said this this organization needs the culture merge this organization needs it so why don't you do what you want to do here itself instead of living and and doing it outside as a consultant i say can but i cannot do it with my current job my current job as a hr business partner is is too busy i am busy solving everybody's problem you know how am i going to do focus on on a development a standardized development a planned development then she said okay wait let me talk to the hr so she spoke to the global hr director and asked her what can we do with her what is the job that she's talking about then the global hr director answered oh that is an organizational development role and i got into that means they created this role for me <laughs> the next one year i was in this organizational development role and here i was like again i had a lot of a uh, time given for me to figure out how to plan the growth of the organization worldwide basically more in asia pacific and one of the things that i saw and i did is china was growing very fast they had a lot of expertise young expertise coming in but uh the most that the especially chemislam because it was a chemical based company so one of the 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 most senior people who are established in the industry and in the company for 20 over years were in minnesota in us so what i did is i i came up with a mentorship program so i i i join up these people so that the the newer chemists 
could uh, work with the older, more senior experienced chemists in the US so that they could uh, meet customer requirements faster. This was one of the things I did. Okay, and that was quite successful. But after that, um, my VP left and I also wanted to do this for other companies as well. So I left and that's also the time when I met um, my mentor, Ilengo and ET Ideas. And he mentioned this and I, and I was still looking for this culture shaping thing, something that really works for, for culture shaping, to change the culture, to merge the culture, to bring them all together. This is when I met the BAW Best Bio Cybernetic Program. He was telling me that to do this, you must raise everybody's awareness. You must, they have to see for themselves how are they reacting and responding to changes that's happening to them. Then only they can stop being reacting emotionally and think critically, think, uh, get their intellect to kick in and make decisions that is not coming from their subconscious programming. So this itself, for me to understand this, to apply this, took me another one year plus. So one year plus, I was learning how to do this with myself. And eventually, Globetrotter Consultancy started doing it for other companies. And in the subsequent years, we successfully managed to do culture transformation for a number of companies that was acquired. Some are like, you know, joined together. And, okay, some just managed management and then they have different cultures. Some economic change already. So now, now they have a different culture and things like that. So the mistakes I had, the, what I didn't know, and looking for them, the answers for it eventually led me to form Group Product Consultancy. And today, Group Product Consultancy, I know some of your clients are some of the biggest companies in Malaysia. Some of them are, are MNCs as well, companies from Japan, different countries. And you successfully made this transition between being a top executive somewhere to actually going out there and being an entrepreneur, which is not an easy transformation. I know many people, even in some of the biggest companies in the world, they leave their, their BP, their director post, and then they don't really know where to start, where to go and things like that. So what was what were the things that actually helped you like transition in this journey? It's not for everyone, but like like what actually enabled you to build what you wanted to change your own reality? It's crazy, Harsha. It's crazy. <laughs> I do not recommend it. But one of the things that happened is I was following my heart and I found something that I was looking for that would help many organizations, will help many people to be happy, live their life better, okay, and um, really take care of their happiness, their health, achieve goals, live life with a purpose. So I found something so good that I had to share it with the world. That kept me going. And of course, my mentor, who if not for my mentor and, and proper guidance, I would have probably gone back to work because maybe my finances would have fell, which is almost many times came to that. And maybe emotionally, I was like, I can't take this anymore, you know, from being in a big corporate role to nobody. And I had to like, uh, in the beginning, I had to do even the marketing part of it. I had to go to malls. I couldn't sell things. Okay, So I had to go to malls and do a survey. And I was here, I am 40 years old, super successful. Now I quit my job standing in the mall saying, can I do a survey with you on happiness and people looking at you and saying no and people look at you and run away and you are like ah, after this it's such a humbling experience there were many times I actually questioned myself why am I doing this I can just go back to my corporate career so easily but I think what kept me going in the journey is following my heart my heart really wants to do this. It didn't want to go back to being a finance person. It didn't want to go back working somewhere. If I went back, I would have just settled. So I had to fight. And there was one, if you ask me, there was one major turning point was when I decided to, I was pretty ready to do the BADBS program, but we haven't done the first one yet. We were going to do that. And I was offered a coaching job by an organization where we were supposed to go to Jakarta and do a coaching for a team for a few months. That would have paid me well. And that was a deciding point. But if I take the job, I won't have the time to, to actually uh, start off and make the best, uh, you know, get the classes on, start doing. I, I won't have the time. And I won't have the energy or the focus because here I have another job to do. So I said no to it. 
which means it was a financial law, I mean, financial forego to that. And I was I put everything I had, including all my, my savings and all, in building the beer bus. So, yes, I really wanted to do it. I did not become an entrepreneur. I didn't say, I want to be an entrepreneur. What shall I sell and what? And then look at it. I was like, I have this. Guys, guys, somebody needs to do this. No one wants to do this. No one wants to. Fine, I'll do it. <laughs> That's how it works. Okay. And because I wanted to do it so badly, I wanted to let people know about it. So, that took everything that they needed to do to do the marketing, to do the to tell people about it and, you know, call people again and again and tell them, hey, I have this, I have this, I have this. Until somebody said, really, I need this. Can you do it for my department? And then I started like that. So, yes. And I would say you've been extremely successful as an entrepreneur. You have a class coming up in November, which is full. You have a conference coming up in December, which is also full. So if anyone even wants to join your programs publicly, they would have to wait for the for next year, in a sense. This quarter is already packed up, which I think shows the mark of an entrepreneur. And, shows and, and I have a wonderful team around me. I have yes. a wonderful team called ETIDs around me and I have uh, my children have been followed in my footsteps as well and they formed ascendants. So it's been a very, very successful story. Not really, pers I mean, personally for me, but for a huge group of people. So it's very nice. And reflecting back on all of these years of experiences that you've had, we're coming up to almost seven years of running Globetrotter Consultancy, doing the BHFS program. In all of those experiences, coupled with the experiences that you've had in an organization, literally shaping the direction, shaping the culture in an organization, what do you think is the one thing about people's culture that they don't, that they don't know about that they should know about? Everyone wants to change their habits. Everyone wants to uh, change their organization. But what's the thing that they're missing when they actually try, attempt to change their lives or change their teams? SIEP is a method that, looking, that, that, that we get them to see that they are reacting to their subconscious programming based on what they see, what they hear. So it's a reactive process. So when this is done so automatically, they are not aware that they are reacting to their subconscious programming. So if someone who has been, many of us have been programmed since young to compete for something. So many times we will go into auto-competing mode without knowing. This is why departments compete, people compete, even husband and wife compete for who's, or either uh, compete or you'll go into who is better, one-up each other. But they're doing this without being aware. So the moment you can raise the awareness by showing them how to do SIP, they can take back control. That means instead of reacting, now they can choose to respond. This takes time. That's why the, the program is one year. Because it takes time and a lot of effort to do it. But when you do it, you can, you can make decisions that you truly want. You can create your own reality in the organization as well. So when I say culture, I'm not talking about Japanese culture, Chinese culture, Malay culture. I'm not talking about that culture. I'm talking about our culture as a human being, going back to the basics of being human. Okay, We want to be happy. We want, if you make the, uh, your other colleagues unhappy, you're not going to be happy. But happy doesn't mean don't get the job done. So it's goal focus. But uh, focusing on the goals is one of the culture. Focusing on the customer is another culture. Focusing on solutions, listening to your heart, being empathetic. Okay, look, uh, when you lead a team, not only the, you care about the work the team needs to do, but individually, what are the challenges they are having personally as well as at work? When you help them, when you help them solve this, you earn their friendship, you earn their respect. At the same time, they will solve their problems and focus back on work. So it's a culture of focusing on goals. It's a culture of looking for solutions. It's a culture of uh, looking at the community than the self. The community could be the department, could be the company, could be all the customer base that you are serving. Very interesting, very interesting. And as we begin to wind down this discussion, for all those people who are in an organization or in a place where they want to change the culture around them, it could be, again, in a company or a family or as an individual or as an executive, what do they do? Because 
for you, the story now looking back seems very smooth sailing, one step after another. But you didn't know this all starting out, did you? So, what is someone in, in your now, now? If I know it, first of all, is go for the BAWS program. <laughs> Learn how to respond. I mean, experience what I'm talking about today. Understand how come I'm, how am I re reacting? How, how do I respond? How do I set my goals? How do I uh, follow my heart? How do I do all this? Once you learn how to do this, then you will see around you where can you implement changes. So you cannot change your family until you change yourself first. You cannot change your organization until you change yourself first. So once you, you know it better, you you have experienced it some part of you you have changed and you've taken control of your life back and you are creating your your opportunities as you go along you see the opportunities differently you seize the opportunities then you can also uh, change your organizations as well many of them who are tuning in today are actually people who are changing parts of the organization wow amazing so change amazing. starts with you basically so you've had it so i think that's absolutely brilliant you on one side have run company programs you on another side were run individual programs where people go on and change their companies so i definitely yep. see the ripple effect of the work that you're doing actually culture shaping so absolutely yes. amazing absolutely amazing to all the people who run businesses who are leaders of organizations how do they get in touch or how or where do they even start in this whole process they can get in touch with me um uh, how do they get in touch with me harsha they can uh, <laughs> i have a website uh, my website is www.valsalakrishnan.com thank you to harsha so one of my start my name uh, websites so yes you can go to my website you can contact me from there you can usually actually google me my number my contact details are uh, uh, pretty reachable so you can google me you can get in touch with me you can get a session with me to understand what can you do for your company or what can you do for yourself okay amazing i'll drop the your website link below um and final question before we end our session today i've had an amazing conversation but i've got to ask this final question thank you harsha for the road down nostalgic uh, nostalgic road down <laughs> we will try to make the last question as nostalgic as possible then so for you in a sense you started off as you mentioned as someone who was not a people person was a numbers person went on to change organization an organization at the regional level went on to change many other organizations today you work very closely with people so not only have you changed other people you have changed yourself in this whole journey that we've uncovered in the last hour or so what's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself in the last in this journey that you've had the whole journey is about learning about myself okay and why in the beginning i thought i was doing this to help other people but eventually i realized as i work with people i learn about myself and i correct things about my own programming and my own cycles and all it's my personal growth actually or my spiritual growth you'll say that and one of the things that i also realized is that different stages of life so one of the thing if you ask me my biggest success story that i can shout about is ascendance <laughs> all of the ascendance are the youngsters who are part of the best program and eventually today i have a lot of time uh my you know my class as you say my classes are full the conference is full so i don't have to i i work with a few number of participants only but a lot of my time is given back to help ascendants build the next uh, uh, make build the next generation because what assonance do is beyond any one person it is building the next generation and being a part of it is so fulfilling and i can afford the time now and i can give my expertise my time and all to build that and that is so fulfilling and that is something that if you ask me it's different stages of life so once first you have a goal and you go and achieve those goals, then you learn up, you go up the corporate ladder, then you go out uh, into the world. And from the, your corporate experiences, you found I found something that I felt that must share with the world, which I'm sharing with the world. Now I have a group of people who are sharing that with the world already. So it doesn't mean me so much. But now I, I have the time to choose to spend with a younger group of people who are making a much, much bigger change than I ever can. 
So I just be a small part of it. And that's very nice and very fulfilling. Well, thank you very much. And thank you so much, not just for your journey, not just for your kindness and your time, but for inspiring all of us here today. And I hope you had as much fun as I did throughout today's interview as, as our audience did. I think they also had such fun listening to your inspiring experiences. So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Harsha, for inviting me on your show today. All right. And with that, I think we shall very, very sadly wrap up today's show on Changing Reality. Um, we had a lovely conversation today with Ms. Valsala Krishna on her journey uh, through the corporate world from finance to HR to organizational development to culture shaping for the masses today. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been truly lovely. And for all of you lovely, lovely audience members who've been commenting, who've been sharing, who've been talking to us today through Changing Reality, I hope you guys had as much fun as we did as well. And I'll see you guys again next week, uh, every Thursday at 10 p.m. ET and whatever time that is around the world. So thank you guys so much for joining us. And till then, bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.